Good morning. Good to see you all. Glad that you're here with us. Ah, man, worship was great today, wasn't it? Just in Jesus, we have victory, we have provision. Everything that we need is in the name of Jesus. It's just so good. Um, I'm going to open us up in, in prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive what God has for us today. Uh, Lord, I just thank you. Uh, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that your Holy Spirit meets with us and speaks with us. Um, Lord, that you can take whatever words I say, Lord, and you can speak to the heart of each individual here the message that they need from you to bring them encouragement, to bring them healing, to bring them strength, to bring them direction, Lord, uh, that your word is able to speak and supply anything that we need. And we believe that in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, have you ever had someone tell you the same joke over and over? It, it, it kind of loses a little bit of oomph after time. Oomph is kind of the word of the day, I guess. Um, over the last six months or so, uh, our daughter, Hannah, three years old, um, she's been repeating the same joke over and over again. It's, it's her, her joke that, that she says whenever the idea of jokes come up. And um, it seems like she's not doing as much lately, um, but the, the joke is, what wobbles in the sky? Uh, she usually says it wrong. She normally says what flies in the sky, but the joke is what wobbles in the sky. The answer is a jellycopter. Uh, it's, it's not great. You don't have to laugh. It's, <laughs> I know it's not a great joke. I, I've heard it, you know, 50 times, probably maybe more. Um, it, it's, it's hard to even really pretend that it's funny at this point. Uh, I still smile at her because she's cute when she does it and, you know, I want to make her feel good. But there's not really any comedic value to the joke. The same thing can happen when we hear a story over and over again. Um, when we already know how it ends, it, we kind of lose a little interest in it. It loses its impact. It loses its, its power and we can become a little desensitized to it. Um, so today, before we get started, I want to attempt to kind of erase some of the numbness that we might have uh, towards the text today. We're going to be reading the story of Lazarus. And, and I'm pretty sure all of us, at least most of us, have heard this story. Those who have heard it have probably heard it several times. So we're going to try and wake us up a little bit to what exactly is happening here. So what I'd like to do is imagine with me that you were experiencing what Lazarus did with, without knowing what the end result was before it started. Imagine that you had a young friend that passed away. We'll call him Larry. So we'll say he passed away on Wednesday. You went to his funeral on Wednesday. Let's, let's say that we went to, your, went to the funeral on Wednesday. Following the funeral, you drove out to the cemetery. You saw the casket lowered into the ground, and, um, and now you've been kind of grieving. And this last week, couple days later, maybe on Friday, you go out to the cemetery uh, to visit the site to kind of process your, your loss, and you see that the, the hole has been completely filled in. You can see that, that it's, it's covered with dirt, and you have even more of a feeling of fin finality, that he is truly gone. It's, it's over. Um, now today, we're, we're four days from the funeral. You've visited the grave. You've, you've processed the loss. And now a friend from out of town arrives, and he wants to go out to the, to the cemetery. And he brings um, some, of the, some of Lazarus' family with him, sorry, Larry's family, <laughs> with him out to, to mourn. You, you expect he's going out there to mourn, but when you get there, you, you see that he's had all the dirt removed 
already, and he asks some of the men to lift the casket up out of the hole. At this point, you're mortified at the thought of this grave being disrupted, um, but he insists. And after, uh, he, after the casket is set down, he says to open it. And as they open it, at the same time, he says, Larry, get up. And Larry, dressed in his best suit, steps out of the casket and into the arms of his family that are weeping with joy and amazement. This is incredible. This, this is mind-blowing. This is astonishing. This is miraculous. There's, there's just not hardly words to describe what they have experienced in this situation. All, was, all hope was lost, and here he is. This was the greatest miracle that Jesus had done to date. Now, you may say, well, he, he raised other people before this. There, there are two other events where, he, where somebody was dead and brought back to life, but they had just died. They, they hadn't been buried. There may have been some room for somebody to say, well, maybe they weren't quite dead yet. Maybe they were resuscitated. Maybe they weren't really dead, you know? Um, th- there might be some questions about whether uh, they were really resurrected or were they just merely instantly healed from a sickness, you know, because they've seen that before. It's, it's no big deal. You know, we can kind of get desensitized to things and when we see them over and over again. But Jesus upped the ante with this one. Um, this was different. A healthy human can only survive for about three days without water, okay? Jesus, or Lazarus, was not healthy. Lazarus was sick, and then he was buried in a tomb for four days. He was undeniably dead. So now that we have this, this picture, this, you know, we've imagined what this must have been like for the family, let's hold on to the awe of this miracle as we read the account of this event as it's laid out in John chapter 11. Um, same as last week, we're going to be reading a big chunk of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles with or if you want to... Um, open up your Bible app on your phone and you want to read along with, that might be helpful. So we're in John chapter 11. Um, Last Sunday's message, we started back about five months out before the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It was fall, but since then, winter has come. Um, there was a festival of dedication, which happened, which we know more as, as Hanukkah. Uh, we've heard of that. Uh, during this festival, Jesus was once again threatened with s- to be stoned and to be arrested because, again, he claimed to be the Son of God, and that dis- disturbed the Pharisees quite a, a bit. Um, he again was able to es- escape, and he was now with his disciples about 20 miles or a two days walk from the home of Lazarus. They're beyond the Jordan River. They're in a place where John was first baptizing, and the disciples appear to be somewhat glad to be in a little bit of a safer location. So Jesus knew that the end of his mission on earth was nearing and that he was going to have to lay down his life. But in order to do that and simultaneously uh, fulfill all of the other prophecies that were, were spoken of him, he had to... Uh, not just make it harder for the Pharisees to, to attempt to kill him, but also he needed to increase their desire to do so. So with this miraculous act that we're about to read about, he accomplished both of these things. He, he made it possible for the tri- triumphal entry 
you know, where he comes in on the donkey and he's, and he's worshipped. Um, and he's also able to bring about what is going to be his crucifixion less than a week after that. So uh, now Lazarus, he's the brother of Martha and Mary. They live in a village just a few miles outside of Jerusalem uh, in a town called Bethany. They were close friends of Jesus. And so without any more delay, we're going to go ahead and start reading it from John chapter 11. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped it with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody, somebody came running to my door, you're knocking on the door, they op- I open the door and they say, your friend is in need, dire need of help. It's, this is a life or death issue. My reaction would be much different. I, I would be frantically running around trying to, you know, grab my keys, grab my wallet, you know, whatever I need for the trip to, to go and help. Um, but that's not what Jesus did. That, it's not because he didn't care for them. He, he said he loved them. But because Jesus was unshakable. He is unshakable. He's unshakable and he's more than capable. He can handle any situation that can arise, right? He doesn't need to, to get frantic. You've, you've probably heard the analogy before that we're supposed to be a thermostat, not a thermometer, right? That we should be uh, one who kind of helps change the environment around us, have an effect on the environment around us, not be influenced and, and reactive to what the environment is imposing on us. Jesus lived this out to a T. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't get rattled. He doesn't get rattled. It's not in his nature. He doesn't need to. He, he's not caught off guard. He's not shocked. He doesn't need some time to figure out what the next step is. He basically just says, don't worry about it. It, It's all under control. Uh, It's like the time when he was on the boat and he was sleeping and the storm came and all the disciples are are frantic. You know, they're they're crying to him, we're going to drown. And and Jesus stands up and he he calms the storm and he says, what are you so worked up about? You know, what is the big deal? Just just stop and and ask me. I'm right here. You don't have to worry. I, I can take care of it. Um. There was a situation where there was thousands of people that needed to be fed, and the disciples had went about, and they had they did done their calculations of how much food they would need, how much money it would cost. They looked at the provisions available to them, and it was like, "There's no way, you know. There's there's no way." Jesus just calmly says, "Just just give me what you have, and I'll take care of the rest." He he didn't get worked up about it. He wasn't nervous about it. Jesus was showing them that when you walk with Him. Through life, there, we can have the same unshakable demeanor. We have the same provision in him. Um, he's got it under control. We don't need to worry. Uh, one of the favorite texts that we, we repeat, I probably, I don't know how many, I don't keep track of how many times I say different verses. I, I feel like I probably have this one in every message. I, I don't know. But Philippians 4, 6, and, 6 through 7, be anxious for nothing, 
Some translations say, do not be anxious for anything. Do not be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. How? Through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. That not on our own. We can't just hope it or wish it away or or knowledge it away. You know, we we have it through Christ Jesus, through that relationship, through that oneness with Him. The same Jesus who can calm the storm, same Jesus who can feed the five thousand, was teaching the disciples that that this is nothing to get rattled about. You don't need to be anxious about it. Uh, he's right there with him, with them, um, and he's also right here with us. If I can mention Hannah again, it's, it's nice to have a child who's young enough that she doesn't care if I mention her in a sermon. She's not going to get upset about that, so I make use of it while I can. Um, there's times where she'll want something that's, you know, I'll be at the countertop in the kitchen and her water bottle will be up there and she wants it. And she'll say in this like whining, distraught kind of voice, you know, that she, she needs that, that water bottle. And I'll say, stop, you don't need to whine about it. Like, I'm, I'm right here, just ask me and I'll give it to you. Like, you, you don't, it's nothing to be worried about. Um, Jesus is demonstrating right here that no matter what it is, he's got it. It's just, it's right, I can do it, you know. It's not hard, I've got it. I heard a, a pastor say this last week, he said that when we commune, we become immune. When we commune, we become immune. When we go to God in prayer and we make our request to God and we give thanksgiving to him, we give thanksgiving because we trust that he's going to answer the prayer, right? We give thanksgiving to him and whether his response is yes, whether it's no, whether it's later, we can know that God has the ability to take care of it. Um, he's got this. There's an old saying that says where, uh, that fear ends where faith begins, right? Fear ends where faith begins. When we pray in faith, we're reminded of God's ability and we take our focus off of our inability, right? We, we, focus, we take our focus off the molehill of our, of our problems and we start to focus on the mountain of the glory that's to come. When we trust in our relationship with Jesus, uh, we can be unshakable. We can be unshakable. John 11 uh, or John 11, we're going to go back uh, to John 11. We're going to go to verse 5 and continue on in the story. Uh, we pick up, uh, it says, So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, Only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied in verse 9, saying, There are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk in safety. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. These last two verses uh, are kind of similar to what we read last week when uh, just before Jesus healed the blind man, Jesus said, uh, in John 9, 4 through 5, he said, We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. Night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. 
there's a picture that, that time is of the essence. Uh, Jesus, probably only a few months out from his cru- crucifixion, was aware that his time was short. And he knows what the Father was leading him to do. And he was going to be faithful with the time that God had set for him to be on earth. But at the same time, he wasn't going to be in a rush. So he's faithful to do what God had planned for him, but he's not, he's not running around frantic. Um, you've heard the, the phrase, uh, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. <laughs> this is, this is a, it seems very fitting when you're talking here about Jesus not getting ahead of the Father's timing. He's, he's not going to get ahead of himself. The he and the Father and the Holy Spirit, they're all in step. They're all, they're one walking in stride. He's not going to get ahead of himself. We know that just as Jesus had a mission on earth and it was all, it was pre-planned, there was good works for Jesus to do when he came here. And God also has good works for us pre-planned for us. We know that, uh, that, that we were made new in Christ so that we could follow Jesus' example. We're supposed to follow Jesus' example. We look at him to figure out who we should be, you know, trying to become more and more in his image. And so uh, we do this so that we can, in concert with the will of God, make good use of the place and the time in history that he has positioned us in. One day, uh, we may move to a different location. You might switch jobs. Um, you may die. And those opportunities will be gone. We have these opportunities in this position to do something that God has put us there to do. There are 12 hours of daylight. Use it or lose it. He's teaching the disciples um, and us not to hesitate when we see that God is calling us to do something, when we see there's, there's something that, that some good work, some, some good that we can do for humanity to bring glory to his name. We don't do it on our own. We don't do it for our own glory. It's not good just to do good, but we do it in the name of Jesus. Um, reading on in John 11, uh, verses 11 through 15, He says, uh, then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them patiently, Lazarus is dead. Plainly, not patiently. Plainly that Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I am glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Jesus puts suffering in its place. Earlier we read in in, uh, verse 4, Jesus said that Lazarus' sickness, which we now caused his death, we know he said it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory through this, or from this. It happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. God knew that Lazarus was going to die. He knew that this was going to result in sorrow. Um, Some who are not believers, um, who don't recognize that God is the one true God, He's holy and he's just. He's the God of the universe. He created the universe. And they, may, they might say, 
what kind of God would allow this kind of pain and suffering and sorrow? But looking back at John 9 um, that we read last week, um, and we, we look at what was said of the, the condition of the blind man, we see a similar thing. It said, um, you know, so this man was blind from birth. We don't know exactly how old he was. His parents were still alive. He could have been from his probably 20s to 40s, somewhere in between. Um, he was old enough to speak for himself. He seemed to be a, a young adult. Um, it was, it was, but they said in John 9, verse 3, it says, it was not because of his sins that he was blind. It wasn't because of his parents' sins that he was blind. It says, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Again, this, this man was blind from birth. Um, and we, in our short-sighted view, might say that... Um, we might say that, that it's not fair or that, it, uh, that, it, that it's wrong that he should suffer like this. Without, with the incomplete understanding of, of the life and the glory that is to come, we may see it as a tragedy when in reality, the reality of it is that he was able to be used by God to be part of Jesus' story of reconciliation to man. He, his suffering... Um, in, in light of the, the joy that came from him, his suffering is not even worth mentioning. He was able to be part of Jesus' story on earth. He was able to be used to bring glory to God. Blind for 20 years in comparison, it's, it's nothing. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about forever hope and glory. It, it, it just makes all of this temporal stuff just seem like it's nothing. Um. In Romans 8, verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. They're not worthy of being compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. When we fix our eyes in heaven, the difficulties of life pale in insignificance. I'm reminded of the old hymn which says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I mean, it seems strange. When you say being blind for, you know, since birth is, is, uh, is not much, that seems strange. But in the light of his glory and grace, it, it, it's true. It's It's amazing. Um, Jesus is demonstrating to the disciples how to view suffering and what kind of value to give it. Blindness, sorrow, grief, sickness, even death are not worthy to be compared to the glory that God will reveal to us and that he will reveal through us. Like we get to be carriers through our suffering. We get to be a part of the revelation of God by people being able to see how he works through us in our suffering. Um, amen. Um, moving ahead into John uh, verse 16, Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Isn't that a great thought? There's a real ray of, of sunshine in the moment, isn't he? Uh, I think it's just safe to say that he's, he's in the same boat we're in. We're, we're all kind of a, a work in progress. Um, it, you know, it's, it's actually very reassuring. I mean, he walked 
physically side by side with Jesus for, for almost three years now, and he's still, still working on it. So we can still be working on it too. Um, moving on to verse 17. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been given, already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me even will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Jesus is the resurrection and the life, right? Do you remember back in verse uh, 15, Jesus said, I am glad that I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. In this conversation with Martha, Jesus is laying out exactly what it was that he wanted his disciples to really believe. This is it. Back in chapter 10, Jesus um, was talking about the power that he has over, over death when he said that I have the authority to lay down my life and to take it up again. But he wanted them to see for themselves that he truly has the power over death. That in him there's nothing to fear because his provision knows no limits. Jesus asked Martha, do you believe? Martha, do you believe? Moving on to verse 27, she answers saying, yes, Lord. She told him, I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. And Mary immediately went to him. Jesus stayed outside the village and at the place where Martha had met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary, saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived, she saw Jesus, fell at his feet, and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him? But some said, the man healed a bl- he, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. 
Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Jesus said, when word first came that Lazarus was sick and, and that, that they needed his help, he said, for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Jesus didn't do signs and wonders just as fun tricks. Um, he didn't even raise Lazarus because he felt sorry for his friends. Uh, he, he did feel sorry for them. He wept with them. He grieved with them. He was upset about the whole situation. Um, but the main purpose was so that they would believe, that they would believe in him and that this would bring glory to God. So John 11 says, Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were bound in grave clothes. His face wrapped in head his face wrapped in headcloth, Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they had saw this happen. They believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Some standing around the tomb, I, I guarantee were doubting when they heard Jesus say to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Like, What? But now they've seen it. Now they've seen it. And now many believed in Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Like I said earlier, this event is taking place within probably a few months. It seems like you know, they had Hanukkah. A few, a few days went by where they were, they were separate and uh, from the time that they were threatened to be stoned last. And now they're, they're moving back. So we're, we're probably a few months before Jesus will perform his greatest work of all, where he will willingly lay down his life on the cross for our place, in, in our place, for our sins, and that he'll rise again three days later, demonstrating to, the, to us that he does indeed have power over death and the grave, even the death of the cross. I mean, some people may, you know, say somebody was unkind. Jesus was beaten. He, he suffered. Nobody survives not being cared for after the cross. He died and, 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 and his body was broken. But that wasn't enough to stop him. That wasn't enough to stop him. Just as Jesus was not rattled by any other obstacle in life thrown his way, he was, not, he was also not shaken by death. He endured it. He took all that it had to dish out. And when he was completely done, when he, when he knew that he had finished the work he had come here to do, he said, it is finished. And he laid down his life. He finished what he was called to do, laid down his life. And three days later, he simply rose it back up again. He didn't... I don't think Jesus strained at it. I don't think it was a stretch. He, he's got this. He's like, I'm going to die when I want to die, and I'm going to rise when I want to rise. There's nothing 
that can stop me. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose in absolute victory. We, uh, I've got, I got three points. I'm going to just recap from the message, and then we're going to close. First thing I want to recap is Jesus came to put suffering in its place. <clears throat> John 16.33 says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. It's in Jesus. You can have peace in Jesus. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus' victory over the world, over sin, over death, is our victory. Jesus won victory, but now it's ours. He won that victory for us. He fought and won the battle for our souls, and he won us unimaginable glory for our future, a future where the suffering that might otherwise seem like a big deal in comparison in the grand scheme of everything that is to come is nothing. Uh, it's not even worth mentioning unless you're going to mention how that suffering drew you closer to him, how that suffering maybe allowed you to walk in true trust and faith and belief and, and won you treasures in heaven because you walked and you suffered for his name, bringing glory to him so that other people could see it, right? That we can, that we can be used to bring a light to who God is and his glory that others might believe. I mean, who cares about anything else that might happen in this, this temporal time. Like, he put suffering in its place. Second thing, time is of the essence. We've, we've all been appointed you know, to man. We've been appointed one time you know, to live and then to, to die once. Like, we're, we're going to live, we're going to die. Lazarus may be an exception to the rule. But, but in general, you know, we're gonna, we were born, we're going to live, we're going to die. We're, we're put in a position... Um, Someplace we, we live in Wisconsin, most of us, some of us in Minnesota. Sorry for you people. <laughs> but, no, no uh, but, but, uh, but God has a plan for us where we are. Um, today in Israel, or Jesus said, uh, he said, he said that there's 12 hours in a day. And today in Israel, there, there's actually 12 hours and one minute of daylight today. So we're real close. But that wasn't the point. Jesus wasn't really talking about how many hours of daylight there were in the day. Um, the point was is that we have a set amount of time. There's a set amount of time to be here to accomplish whatever it is that God wants to accomplish through us. Um, whether it's, you know, just raising up godly children whether it's encouraging one another within the body of Christ, uh, whether it's helping to meet the needs of those that we see around us, uh, reaching the lost, uh, showing God's glory as we walk in joy through adversity. Uh, we have this one life to live, and, uh, and we don't want to neglect God. We don't want to neglect what God has pre-planned for us to do, the works that he has for us to do here. Um, Jesus uh, didn't didn't care what the opposition was. He didn't care about the suffering that laid ahead because he had a perfect vision of the result of it all. That's why it says in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. We have a mission too, and, and uh, we only have this one life to live, and we live it in thanksgiving Right? We give it because, because of what he did, because he raised us from the dead. Our, our spirits, our souls are alive. We've been resurrected. Um, we don't want to let 
fear. We don't want to let distraction. We don't want to let sin hinder us from accomplishing whatever it is that God has put in front of us to do. Uh, going back to Hebrews 12, back one verse uh, to, to verse 1, it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. All right? Uh, the third thing I'm going to recap, uh, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's the big one. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We who have put our trust in him have already experienced this. Our spirit was dead, but it was made alive in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. Our spirit have, has experienced this, and one day our bodies are going to experience this too. But um, we can offer our lives in these bodies as a living sacrifice, surrendered to him for the good works, uh, and, and also we can live lives surrendered to him in offering praise and worship to him. So with that thought in mind that we've been resurrected into new life so that we can bring glory to him, let's stand and let's sing praises um, considering the marvelous, mighty works he has done. Lord Jesus, you've given us life. We were dead. You've brought us back to life that we can demonstrate your glory. We can be a part of your revelation to the world around us, of your goodness, of your greatness, and of your victory. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Closing off with uh, the last, last portion of this scripture, John eleven forty five 45 through 52. <clears throat> Actually, I think we're going to stop a little short of that. Um, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The lead, then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. If, we, if they allow Lazarus to walk around demonstrating how Jesus can bring the dead back to life, soon everyone will believe in him. If we walk around demonstrating that Jesus can bring us back to life, soon everyone will believe in him. If we can walk in that. Amen? We're alive, right? We're alive. We've been made alive in Jesus. Let's trust in him. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, many saw and believed. They saw that Jesus, they saw that Lazarus had gone from no hope to new life. Lord, I pray that we will display your resurrection power as we live in the world around us, that we display lives that have been visibly transformed by your love, by your grace, by your mercy. I pray that those who are dead around us will see the abundant life that we have filled with the Holy Spirit, the same power that lived in Jesus, same power that raised him from the dead, that they'll see the joy that that, that fills us with and the, the contentment and, the, and the, the confidence and the hope that that brings us, Lord, and that that will draw them to you 
that they also will be raised to life again. Lord, let us walk in lives that are trusting you with such hope, with such trust, with such confidence that we shall not be rattled by anything that life throws our way. For your glory, Lord, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Let's go in the power of the Holy Spirit, displaying the good news of Jesus Christ living through us for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.